0: Hi, my name is Sarah Rachel Brown. I'm a 30-something-year-old woman, and I live in Philadelphia. I'm a contemporary jeweler. And like many others, I am an artist trying to make a living. On this podcast, I'm going to broach the subject of value. I'll be talking to studio artists and performers, educators and administrators, and anyone else attempting to combine their creative endeavors with how they get a paycheck. Before we get to today's introduction, have y'all heard of New York City Jewelry Week? because it is quickly approaching, and I would hate for any of you jewelry-loving, adornment-assessed listeners out there to miss out on this exciting new event. It's one city, one week, a celebration of jewelry. In a city of constant change, inspiring stories, creative minds, and ever-evolving opportunities, New York City Jewelry Week has arrived to celebrate the voices that make NYC sparkle. Join us this November 12th through 18th for an exclusive glimpse behind the bejeweled curtain of the broad, engaging, and dynamic jewelry industry in a way that only the Big Apple can deliver. As a partner of New York City Jewelry Week, you can count on Proceed Value as a resource to hear about specific events that will be happening. And in the coming months, I'll be interviewing artists and organizers who are working hard to make this inaugural event happen. So stay tuned. If you haven't already, I suggest checking out the website at nycjewelryweek.com. Alright, welcome to another episode of Perceived Value. It has been mm, a little while, because this summer has been jammed packed. I had a friend get married, I had another friend move, and you know what? I just needed to take a step back from this podcast and focus on some other aspects of my career. And all I got to say is, I sure hope there's plenty of you out there who have been blowing off the studio to get in some swimming and road tripping during this summertime. As I release this podcast, it is August 14th, and not only is this the 20th episode of the podcast, but it also happens to be the one-year anniversary of when I released my very first episode of Proceed Value. So, happy birthday to this little passion project of mine. I am a big fan of goals, so when I first set out to make this podcast a reality, I told myself if I was going to spend a good amount of money of my inheritance on this equipment, I better be in it for the long run. I set a goal for myself. One year. It was realistic, manageable, and here we are. A few months ago, I started brainstorming. What would my ideal one-year anniversary episode be like? You know, I daydreamed about flying across the country or even to Europe for an interview. Because, you know, who doesn't love an excuse for a workcation. But instead, the perfect opportunity presented itself right here in Philadelphia. And I am so very excited to share with you all this interview. My guest is an educator, a contemporary jeweler, and someone I have come to call a close friend over the past year. Emily Cobb just completed her first year as a full-time assistant professor in jewelry and small metals at Humboldt State University in California. When we last spoke on the podcast, Emily had just accepted this position and was on the cusp of relocating across the country and starting a whole new life in California. I thought to myself, what better way to celebrate when you're making this podcast than to revisit where I started? So, please welcome... Emily Cobb. <laughs> yeah, now really spilled over to my podcasting. Um, Miss Emily Cobb, we're, we are in my living room, which... <laughs> your living room. <laughs> we're in my living room, which a year ago was your living room which is hilarious <laughs> how's it feel to be back here surreal but also homecoming
1: yeah sort of vibe sort of like that first fall you went back to maybe high school
0: <laughs> you know for the homecoming, for football, the homecoming game, football game before the dance
1: which i never did so i don't know why i'm using that analogy but yeah, me maybe <laughs> some of our listeners out there know what i'm talking about yeah, uh, but Philadelphia is really great in that way. It's a city you can always leave and always come back to. Mm. There's such a community
0: here. Yeah. Well, you got such a strong community here. I mean, sometimes I forget that you're not even here because we text and communicate so much. Mm-hmm. Social media and social media. has
1: changed, I feel, your ability to
0: travel around and still feel really connected. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's like a positive and then also can be a really big negative because you can be in a place and feel very disconnected to where you're at mm-hmm. because you're so connected to other places. It can mess with you a little bit. Um,
1: I definitely think I thought upon leaving Philadelphia that I'd have a lot more FOMO. And I definitely have that. But like you said, with text messaging and Instagram and Facebook and all those lovely social media connections, it's is easier to not feel out of the loop. Yeah. Which I think maybe 10, definitely 20 years ago might have been a whole different ballgame.
0: Yeah. So, hi, everybody. For those listening who who have no idea what's going on, um, (laughs) I'm sitting here in my now living room, which a year ago was Miss Emily Cobb's living room. Um, It was this is the one year anniversary of perceived value one year (laughs) happy birthday perceived value (laughs) one year y'all and you know I it was just this really amazing thing where Emily Cobb is back in Philadelphia through the summer um, because a friend of ours just got married and I was like oh hey you were my first guest And I thought it would be very Mm -hmm. appropriate to have you back on for the one-year anniversary. I popped your cherry. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. Thank you, girl. Um, I'm excited to be back. This is great. Yeah. And for those listeners who have never known this, which has been a big inside joke for us in Philadelphia, um, when Emily Cobb was on the podcast, she was the adjunct hustle. If you haven't listened to the first episode of Perceived Value, I encourage you greatly to go back and listen to it. Um, and so in that episode, we talked about that she had just gotten a tenure track position and Emily was, I think, two months away from moving across the country to take your teaching position. Correct. That sounds about right. That whole time period is a little blurry for me. (laughs) Yes, You had just found out about it. So it was like very fresh. Mm -hmm. I remember that. Um, and I went away for the summer to Maine because I was like, you know what? I don't know if Philly is the right place for me. I don't know if I'm really happy here. And right before I left, Emily and the rest of the JV Collective, which had already existed, were like, hey, Emily's leaving. Do you want to take her place in the studio and join the collective? And to which I said... yes (laughs) yes <laughs> um and so i was like oh okay i'm going away for the summer but when i come back i'm going to do this and while i was there emily was also like oh hey it wasn't even you somebody else was like i said i needed a place to live and they said oh i know this girl who needs a roommate you guys should live together um <laughs> And it happened to be your roommate. Yes. <laughs> and then also while I was in Maine, this company that I'd been gunning for for a whole year to work for, Barry O'Neill, contacted me and said, hey, we just had this person leave and we're creating a full-time position and would you be interested? And Emily Cobb is the one that was
1: leaving. <laughs> <laughs> so just sum it up, you took my place of living, one of the ways I made my living, <laughs> And also
0: where I made my work. This I know video. it was yeah. great. It
1: was like I never left.
0: Yeah, it was pretty great. I literally just stepped into your footsteps. Um, but I felt good about that
1: because yeah. there was a certain weight to leaving Philadelphia. For those of you who maybe haven't listened to the first episode yet, I lived in Philadelphia my whole life until last year. Yeah, or in the Philadelphia area my whole life. So leaving it felt like leaving a hole not only for me personally but i was worried about everything that i was leaving behind and so it was nice to have someone who from what i knew about you was really cool (laughs) and rad uh to replace it and that's sort of a unique feeling that you focus so much on that you're leaving but you realize also the gap that you leave when you leave behind and i worried
0: about that but yeah i think that speaks to your character um yeah, because your roommate needed somebody, the studio mm-hmm. needed somebody. And, you know, the interesting thing too is that when you were on this episode a year ago, I knew you. I'd met you at Munich Jewelry Week, but I didn't really know you. We'd hung out a handful of times. And since then, I can say that you have truly become one of my close friends. Oh, yeah. Thank you, SRB. We're, <laughs> we're, we're not going to get too emotional in here, people. Calm down. Um, But so it's really interesting to have this year in, and kind of look back and see where we were at when I had you. Like I was even nervous to have you in my apartment. Like I didn't know you that well and I just wanted everything to be perfect and for you to be really excited to do the interview. And you were my first. Um, It was scary asking you because there's people that were like, I don't know if I'm comfortable with that. And you were really, immediately you were like, yeah, let's do this. Mm
1: Well, I feel that this podcast and you making this podcast happen is starting to fill kind of on the whole theme of holes and gaps that you leave behind this sort of gap in our field uh, mm. that we need people as invested and knowledgeable about artists and making jewelry and working that hustle, yeah. but that are maybe talking about it in a way that isn't making work as the main focus. And I think that having a dialogue and having these podcasts, at least for me, and I've definitely heard it from other people and seen it on reviews that you've shared, <laughs> it, it's really filling this sort of um, hole that we don't want to get much bigger in our field, which is talking about these topics and having an active dialogue, a contemporary dialogue, on really important topics that is impacting our field every day, from whether it's how you make your living, um, from the academic side. like. Education to you know even just how do you make it work like with the Erica Bello episode you know <laughs> you know you don't not everyone always knows what they're doing and it's sort of you're this kind of guiding um, light that people can look towards to start to feel more connected mm-hmm. so we're sort of on the topic of feeling connected um, to a community that maybe you're not physically around
0: well I think it's comforting too to hear other people. <laughs>
1: A little bit now like we're I'm all a little lost
0: I'm like, I get comfortable when someone's like I don't actually know how to do that I'm like oh thank god yeah I'm the only one that's like mm-hmm. not the only one freaking out about my taxes every year um feels good yeah. so with the one year uh, when this airs it'll be August 14th we're mm-hmm. still in July but we're looking forward mm-hmm. to that date um when We aired last year. We were talking about how you were really excited. We were looking to the future. You reflected on your experience as an adjunct professor and that hustle and like how much money you had made and the effort you had put in to gain this experience to get to this other place, which was you know, ultimately a tenure track position. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember, and I've quoted you on this so many times or I've used a phrase, you're just like chasing the unicorn or you're catching the <laughs> unicorn mm-hmm. as a tenure track position. Cause there's not a whole lot of positions that come available in jewelry and metalsmithing. Um, so asking you back, I really wanna just have a conversation about, hey, damn. You've done it. You, you lasted your first year. Woo-hoo. How was that? Go <laughs> where are where are they now? <laughs> I know it kind of is like the where are you now? Uh, um, TLC. Where are they now? Yeah, it's
1: uh, And know. that's a broad question. We can break it <laughs> sure. down first no, of all.
0: I can break it down. I mean, there's all the aspects I want to talk about it because I think for me, I think about that a lot. Where within our field, people have to move so much for their opportunities. So let's just start with that. Damn, right. you moved away from Philadelphia. Yeah, and that was does make sense now
1: that you say. I had just found out about the job because I don't think I was quite into the in the depths of what it <laughs> actually means to to leave somewhere that you've grown your roots. Yeah, and you know, aside from the the stress that comes with figuring out how you get your stuff out there, what stuff you bring, um, there's a lot more. Factors that are definitely going to impact you on an anxiety level and a stress level that's even beyond just deciding how you're physically getting out there. Because mentally, it's a whole new ballgame. It's a whole, for me, it was a whole new coast.
0: Well, it's East Coast to West Coast. East
1: Coast to West Coast, a whole new uh, group of students, a whole new department, a whole new metal smithing and jewelry program that was really different from. The programs that I had experienced on the East Coast. And it's that uncertainty. It's feeling sort of fresh again, maybe the way you first felt when you did your first podcast episode. Yeah. It's just everything, every step you take feels really unknown and really unfamiliar and sometimes that's the stress and anxiety that really gets to you kind of scary right not what you know you have to do like i know i have to get on an airplane with my cat <laughs> <and fly laughs> for 12 hours i know i have to figure out my new driver's license and all those sort of things that have are micro stresses the main ones yeah. are what you don't know and what you can't predict and what you can't control and You know, the desire, of course, definitely as an educator to do right by the program that just put their faith in you and by the students that are hoping that you come in and, you know, keep the program alive and successful. So being a year out from that now, I feel like I didn't have to worry as much. Yeah, Uh, I worried a lot more probably than I needed to. But on the same side, I wonder if through worrying so much, that's why... It went so well, so who knows? Maybe we all stress <laughs> out and have anxiety, and that's actually what makes it work. But I would say for anyone who maybe this year or in the future will be in my shoes, you will worry a lot more than you probably need to yeah. about the transition. And just remember everything's new to you. You're new to everyone, and you're going to figure it out because you got the job. So you had to at least you know, figure it out enough to get the position. So give yourself a little bit more credit than maybe I gave myself and a lot of my friends give themselves. We're our worst critics. Let's yeah. be honest. Yeah. Well, we're all over- <laughs>
0: achievel- achievers, we're artists. Yeah. But, you know, that is something that I was interested in because when you say tenure track position, that doesn't necessarily mean for some people's per um perception of that, like especially mine is like, "Oh, tenure track, like you can get you can never get fired no matter what." And you sign a contract and you have your job the rest of your life. But that's not really the deal, right? Like, what is? So, especially in the beginning, um, at least at
1: my university, you need to, throughout the first year, second year, third year, there are milestones throughout your tenure and your retention and your promotion. So, your RTP, where you can go from assistant professor to associate professor, you go from what I originally was hired on, which was like a one year, you know, tenure track, but a one year contract that's re evaluated in your first year. And then you get signed on for another year and then you get
0: evaluated. Oh, I didn't realize for that was like a year by year basis. At
1: least w- at my university, you mm-hmm. are every year, every two years, you're doing some form of an evaluation. Some are yeah. small and you're just basically pitching what you hope to achieve in terms of research, uh, teaching effectiveness, and service in a year. Yeah. And the other is this really hardcore binder where you imagine your CV on steroids (laughs) and you are basically proving to everyone that you should continue to be on this tenure track position, that you're continuing to make work, that you are continuing to make the program grow, that you're working on your teaching effectiveness, and that you are also doing a good level of service to the school and your field
0: so so are you the binder or are you i'm the in
1: the binder stage right now <laughs>
0: <laughs> i was like so are you the? Binder? i had my mini
1: mini mini little this is what i would love to do this year review back in uh, the winter yeah um february and this time at the end of august is uh when this binder is due that will basically determine you know my next level of promotion and that i continue on in this tenure track position
0: i didn't realize there was like promotions within it i thought you just got hired as one thing and that's what you are oh that's interesting yeah so it
1: and i'm sure that there are similar circumstances at other universities this is particularly uh, my experience right now yeah Everyone, fortunately, has been amazingly supportive in my program and my department to make sure that you do this because basically they're like, we hired you because we know that you are capable of achieving all of these goals that it takes to get full tenure, to get your tenure in five to six years. So they're really there to help you just prove that you are continuing to, like I said, the main three is service, research, and teaching effectiveness that you have all those things but it is of course always nerve-wracking to sort yeah. of prove try to prove that <laughs> yes uh, so that's sort of what I'm going through now on that side of things hmm. it is still really different from hoping that I have classes yeah as an adjunct you know I'm guaranteed to have classes And I'm guaranteed to be given this opportunity to prove myself. And that's where with adjuncting, it was always really stressful is you never knew if there'd be enough enrollment to to your for your class to run or, you know, if that class was ever going to run again. Maybe you you did it in the spring and it wouldn't run again until next spring. and You just would hope. So in terms of job security, it is a lot more secure. It feels a lot more secure you have a level of dedication from the university to make sure they want you to get that tenure. Yeah, You know, they're pushing for it. So it's just a very, it is still stressful, but in a very different way
0: than I felt adjuncting was. And I appreciate that too, because you don't want someone to get this type of job security and then they kind of rest on their laurels. Is that the term? Yeah. I mean, you just kind of like, sounds I got right. the job. <laughs> I got the job. Maybe I don't need mm-hmm. to like work as hard. Mm-hmm. I've got, worked really hard to get here. And this kind of keeps you on your toes and keeps you moving forward. Um, so with that, when you put this binder in, mm-hmm. oh, girl, sounds stressful. <laughs> um does that necessarily come with a pay raise every year or is it more like a security thing? Like you're still meeting our criteria. We're still happy with you.
1: I guess I'll find out. Oh yeah. You don't know. It's your first year. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, I yeah. Like, what I mean, is that, yeah, I think it's really, is going to depend. Uh, you know, California is a whole different state to me. So I'm still even oh, figuring yeah. things out with that. But I mean, on a similar note, even if I don't get a pay raise, another whole factor that has been amazing with getting tenure track is that I have really good health insurance Okay. and I have retirement. That's wild. So, you know, a pay raise, that's like a whole new thing to me being an adjunct and not really ever getting one. But yeah, um, I know that that will happen in my position eventually. Um, But definitely in my mind, a big step up has been health insurance yeah. I might get contacts again. <laughs> <laughs>
0: You're like, I like
1: love my glasses, but they've been more out of necessity than, than choice. Oh, that's so funny. Uh, yeah. And uh, and then I also have retirement, which I imagine must be such a worry for a lot of people that I know that are out there that aren't pursuing careers where that is sort of a, a perk or a given or built into that you know, that was a huge
0: concern for me <laughs> really okay because I was uh I was just living that pretty life not even <laughs> thinking about it until my job was like oh you're gonna have a 401k and I was like come again cha-ching what is that <laughs> um so yeah I'm saving for mm-hmm. retirement now mm-hmm. I just looked at it, I got eight hundred dollars been at my job yeah, six girl. months 800 you didn't have before yeah yeah Ship <laughs> <laughs> away it, it's kind of wild to think about that mm-hmm. um in terms of we're, yeah, <laughs> not working out after a certain age. It's very real. Yeah. So that's exciting. Congratulations mm-hmm. to you on that.
1: Yeah. And I, you know, retirement, I know some that might not be something on everyone's minds listening out there, but, you know, even just saying when you were like, oh, this podcast is only a year old, I'm like, only a year old. I thought like this is five <laughs> years ago. <laughs> you know, for me, the time just moves in strange ways, especially yeah. when you have big life changes. And I think in a blink of an eye, you can be 20 years down the road. I could be 20 years down the road. And so, you know, (laughs) I'm going to be that person right now that's like, if you can just put a little bit
0: away. Yeah. You should do it. Okay, listeners, pay attention. That's a good (laughs) thing. So, okay. So you moved across the country, Mm -hmm. but you didn't go by yourself. I mean, you left so much here. You left the JV Collective. You left friends, your family, et cetera. But somebody went with you Mm -hmm. besides your cat. Besides my cat, Rosie, which if you follow my Instagram, I'm I'm sorry. <laughs> you're like contemporary jewelry <laughs> scattered with pictures of a
1: cat. I love cats. Uh, but yes, uh, my partner, Charlie, came with me and that was
0: amazing. Um, yeah. You know. Did you <laughs> ask him or did he offer? Like, I feel like I know so many artists who have to move around for work a lot and you're mm-hmm. always like, <gasps> That person just got that job. And the next thing I think about is, we talked about this earlier. We talked about somebody who just got a job. And we're like, oh my God, is their partner going with them? Yeah. It's the first thing you
1: think about. Well, because they have a separate career and a separate life too. And it yeah, it's you can expect somebody
0: just to follow somebody else.
1: Exactly. And uh, for me, I was just really lucky. Uh, it was sort of a given. I don't even remember having a conversation. He just was always, from the beginning, really supportive about the jobs I was applying to and mm-hmm. the locations I was applying to and looking into them. And just the the vibe that I always got was wherever I ended up going, he was going to go.
0: Like he was invested in it. like, oh, okay. Like, oh, if it's in California, I could see myself in California kind of thing. oh mm-hmm. So...
1: I feel very lucky in that sense. I do think, though, for many people, and I understand for many partners, that's a huge decision, especially yeah. if your loved one is pursuing a career where, most likely, they'll have to leave the city that they're in.
0: Well, I've had relationships in because of that. Like, it's hard. Yeah. yeah,
1: Because it's a complete life change.
0: Yeah, and with um, teaching positions, I think, is really a specific thing, where I have somebody who had to move to from Seattle to the South and she's mm-hmm. miserable where she's at, but he promised her summers back where they used to live and they travel. So that's their like give and take there. Yeah, compromise. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So your partner moved with you. Yep. <laughs> um, his name, can we say his name? Sure. Charlie. Charlie. Yeah. Also, Charlie, if you're listening, <laughs> we have this ongoing joke because we're like ships passing in the night. I still never yeah, met Charlie. Yeah, Charlie has
1: never met Sarah, <laughs> although since I listened to Perceived Value, he has heard Sarah many times. I know. <laughs> hey, Charlie. Uh, um, so he moved out there. Mm-hmm.
0: He came a little late, later
1: than well, you, right? Well, I headed out um, to find housing Good luck, anyone, if you ever have Ugh. to move. Finding housing from far away is really tough. I even tried to sell, like, professor and lawyer, you know, searching yeah. for house. And, it, uh, you know, I had to be there. So I went out a little bit earlier in July, tried to settle in, tried to find a place. Miraculously got a house through... An art jewelry connection. Really? Where, yeah.
0: Who was your connection? Uh, oh my Anna God. Johnson? <gasps> Are you serious? Yeah. How mm-hmm. did she have connections of hers? sister Laura
1: uh, works at HSU oh my god that's really funny. so I did the course the classic Facebook shout out not to be underestimated oh, oh dude Facebook has gotten me <laughs> many opportunities you know please help if anyone you know I was complaining about finding housing and through that connection I was able to get a place and the landlord was willing to take you know someone they knew for their word which was Anna Johnson's sister and yeah. It was great and that's where we're living to this day oh
0: wow I never yeah. even knew that that's me oh hi Anna Johnson <laughs> super lucked out <laughs> cool yeah. so you went out and then he came later mm-hmm. he did came. he come with like all the furniture and stuff or like how do you always navigate that? oh my goodness so if
1: you move <laughs> And anyone out there listening, if you've ever used a moving company that hasn't screwed you over, let everybody <laughs> know. Because anyone I talked to after my experience went, oh, yeah, that happened to me. Only five times worse. Oh, no. Um, so we hired a moving company and they came and picked up our belongings in late July and were they were to be delivered two weeks later. So I traveled out mid-August. I came back from my friend Mira Ramshandati's wedding, which was like an amazing couple days of events, uh, Indian fusion wedding. Oh, I
0: know. Indian
1: wedding. It was great. get like three
0: weeks of celebration. It was
1: great. I got henned, the whole, you know, the whole shabam, shazam. And then I immediately, with Charlie, we flew out the day after her wedding with the cat. Mm
0: -hmm. So this
1: was mid-August, and then I had orientation, and our moving vehicle was supposed to show up after that. And it wasn't coming and we got a phone call. Oh, it might be another month. And of course, Charlie being a lawyer got on the phone and did his lawyer thing. And they're like, okay, it'll be here in like three days. Yeah. So the moving truck arrives and they want like two thousand more dollars because they claimed we told them we were in the Bay Area out of San of San Francisco. We're about five hours north of San Francisco and they had to basically bid out our moving truck to another company to drive it to where we live. So long oh. story short, we end up threatening them or
0: <laughs> I hit upstairs. Up. Charlie threatened them. <laughs> I was
1: done with the moving company uh, and we ended up getting our belongings out and but it was just a nightmare and some yeah. people have had their moving trucks put into Sacramento just to sit there for months their belongings and they'd had to go pick it up themselves Ugh. so for anybody out there listening do the pod or oh, run a yeah, u-haul the pod and do thing. it yourself
0: yeah diy it be careful with the moving trucks <laughs> careful with the moving trucks the companies okay good advice mm-hmm. so charlie's a lawyer mm-hmm. um and i feel like you're at humboldt state university it's uh a little remote it's rural it's rural mm-hmm. um did he find work there? Like, how did you guys negotiate that? Because I feel like when somebody's moving for a job, it's not necessarily fair to expect the partner to be like, I have this perfect job to go with you. Sure. Yeah.
1: Well, I was very content with him being a stay at home boyfriend for Aww. as long as he wanted to because Charlie can cook and he can bake bread. And I would come home to those amazing meals after my long first days of teaching at this brand new environment. Yeah. And it was pretty great. Uh, but a few months in, he revealed that he wanted to change careers. Okay. So he is now. Is that because
0: he was having trouble finding work or he was. No. Just, he just wanted to follow he passion. He
1: wanted to follow passion and had followed me to California for my passion. Yeah. So he decided to pr- pursue his passion of becoming a peace officer, which <laughs> is uh, another way of saying police officer. So. Yes. Uh, flash forward uh, six months at the academy, and he is now uh, a police officer in the town that our school is in.
0: That is wild. It's pretty wild. But it's also, like, Charlie's a really good guy. I mean, I don't met Charlie we haven't met, but, <laughs> you know, I'm close to you and have heard a lot of things about him, and he seems like a very stand-up guy. So you need more good guys yeah. going into the I'm police academy.
1: Him. I made him promise that if he just didn't like it, That he would stop doing it because
0: he's still a lawyer. I mean, I'm Mm -hmm. sure he had to pass the bar in California. Was that a big part of why he didn't practice law there?
1: Uh, He would have had to have taken it again. Yeah. But like I said, he just really wanted to, this is something he wanted to pursue all the way back into high school.
0: Good on him for like. (laughs) Chase your
1: dreams. Yeah. Trace your dreams. Chase your
0: dreams. (laughs) (laughs) Move to California. Another good theme of this podcast. Chase your dreams. Chase your dreams. (laughs) Um, Okay. So. Also, because it is rural, I love following you guys on social media. I mean, I lived in Seattle. I've been to the coast of Oregon. I've driven through Northern California. It's beautiful there. I actually had a boy ex boyfriend who lived in Arcadia with the Humboldt State University. Yeah, he dropped out and learned how to make hash, and that's what he did. <laughs> Follow your
1: dreams. <laughs> yeah. Well,
0: yeah. Northern California. Hey you. Yeah. Um, but how has life been there? Like adjusting to a different Kind of culture. Hmm.
1: Yeah. That's a great question because something I worried about leaving Philly is like, nowhere's going to compare to Philadelphia. Like, I love Philadelphia. I mean, people that live in Philly love Philly. You know, we're, we're, <laughs> we're annoyingly dedicated to Philly. Don't blame you uh, But for me, I was actually really excited that I knew it was going to be something totally different because it's impossible to compare to Philadelphia. It's not a major city, there's no skyscrapers, there's no Ikea. Or Home Depot within three hours of me And the environment Is going to be totally different I mean the area Is technically a registered rainforest I was going to be surrounded by state forests. The Pacific Ocean I think is way more intense Than the Atlantic Ocean The Pacific is intense So I just knew everything was going to be different And in a lot of ways for me that made it easier Because I wasn't comparing it From like one city to the next It was city to rural Out Doors, nature to urban jungle. It it just was yeah. completely different. So for me, the transition maybe seemed more shocking yeah. because now I do need to drive everywhere. Um, I was a big biker in Philly, and you know now having a car is a necessity. Things are twenty minutes away. That's like no big deal. A four hour drive is a short
0: drive. There's you know, but there's no traffic. I think okay so I can relate to that so much Mm -hmm. Going from Seattle to Penland Which is very Isolated and rural And just even to go anywhere Is a 15-20 minute drive And then Aramon as well Um, Also you haven't put on the driving weight girl You look good Because I (laughs) When I moved to Penland And Aramon you had to drive Everywhere And I put on some weight, and I've lost it since I moved back to the city because well, I, I walk, walk and bike everywhere. Okay. I do walk to
1: school. And the joke about HSU, which is Humboldt State University, yeah. is the H is an S and U is for hills, stairs, and umbrellas. Okay, nice. So <laughs> I get a good
0: workout. Does anybody uh, shame anybody there for using umbrellas? Because in Seattle, it's like, really? You use an umbrella? It just rains here all the time. Put a hood on.
1: It's not, I don't know if shaming is really part of it but it's like why bother yeah it is kind of why
0: bother <laughs> it's like a whole new
1: culture around It's a whole it. new culture maybe that's what my point is is it's the little things that are that really gets me in terms of differences and i'm embracing them more because i'm just like i'm in a whole different place yeah you I'm just in a have whole to lean into world, it new coast
0: <laughs> um how's the food there because i i struggled When I'm not in a city I'm just like oh God Well Philadelphia Not to keep Well we're gonna be Philly-centric I
1: guess you have to deal yeah, with it But here, <laughs> Philadelphia uh, You know it. Has really good food It does um, And our, But Arcata Which is the town I live in Has amazing seafood Because we are right On Humboldt Bay Which okay. fun fact Makes like Some crazy percentage Of California's oysters Are from Humboldt Bay
0: Oh uh, okay All And right. there's
1: crabs And fish So as a seafood lover It's a dream Because you really Can get fresh Fish from a f- food truck. There, yeah. um, unfortunately, it's Northern California, so your Mexican taco is not. Uh, the <laughs> You, you know, ain't getting tacos, girl. <laughs> the tacos are fine. You know, I'm. I just was spoiled in Philly. Yeah. But in terms of fresh produce, local produce, like that's mm-hmm. really changed. I'm. I live near a market that's locally owned and supplies all sorts of local delicacies, like Humboldt fog cheese, oh, okay. which is amazing if you haven't had it and. I'll go out and buy what I need for dinner that night and then cook it, which, again, is a really different pace because in Philly, I got used to the takeout scene or, you know, Acme. Yeah. (laughs) And there it's a lot more about locally grown produce and cooking more, cooking more and things don't have preservatives in them and. So, again, minor changes, but major impact on my daily life.
0: I mean, when I moved back to a city and I could actually order a pizza, I had a goddamn party about it. I was like, <laughs> I can order a pizza. There's, like, things you forget about, yes. like delivery. Oh, it's so nice. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's just interesting. So because of the location, it's what is your students like? Because it's... Um, it's a destination, right? It's not like Philly, where it's like somebody who grows up here and they're like, oh, "I have to go to school." Okay, I guess I'll, you know, enroll in Tyler and mm-hmm. maybe I'll take art because I don't know what else to do. Like, I feel like your students are going there for with a bigger intention. Is that right?
1: Well, it's definitely a different student body than I encountered out on the East Coast and yeah. in the urban area. One of the great things about California is schooling compared to East Coast per se is a lot more affordable. So in-state tuition is a big deal in California. It's way more affordable. So HSU is part of the California State University system. We're the northernmost campus. So we actually get a lot of students from Southern California who look at the map of california and want to see like how can i change my environment how can i get out of you know that like we all kind of felt maybe at some point when we were going to college like let me use this as an opportunity to explore
0: yeah so even if you're from la you're like get me out of southern california i want to go somewhere else
1: right well and california is huge i mean unlike the east coast you can go through a few states in a few hours you can travel 15 to 20 hours in the state of california yeah so a lot of my students are from southern california um a lot of the students are first generation college students so the first ones in their family to go to college a lot of them have full-time or part-time jobs so it's a very different student body than i encountered on the east coast and it's been really eye-opening and fun and really different to work with that type of student body just because it's different from what I've worked with before and the motivation is really high there, Um, the, the desire to learn skills that can be applied to a job is really important to them and the program currently specifically in jewelry doesn't have say like a 3d printer or computers or cnc routers that i had at other programs i taught at on the east coast but there's a desire to have them so i'm in the ah. process of bringing those p- sorts of machines and digital fabrication into the program partially because the students have a desire to learn what is being currently used. And maybe that's, you know, maybe it's
0: a big part of why they wanted you too. <laughs> I'm sure it played a bad
1: for sure. Um, but, you know, industry is using it and that's what a lot of our graduates, you know, if they graduate with that skill, they're really desirable. Um, but I also love traditional fabrication. I mean, the yeah. studio I inherited is uh, was a beautifully run ship before I got it. It's oh, nice. um, well-loved, well-equipped, um, great you know organization and space so I'm, I'm fortunate to start with a really great base and now I'm just hoping to enhance it and provide opportunities for students who want to take them you know, I'm, I am still love all the traditional fabrication and there's so much great equipment there yeah. for the students to, you know, learn so many different processes in jewelry and jewelry making and how to make their own jewelry and maybe start a business. And I'm just hoping to add to that a little bit so that if they are interested in the digital side and that might be a route they want to take, whether it's going to graduate school or going into industry, that that's available for them. Yeah. So that's what I have to look forward to. Which is
0: exciting. <laughs> yeah. Um, you touched on something that I wanted to talk about because, okay, the only way I can compare it to is when I was in high school, I was obsessed with choir. I was a choir geek. Like I ate choir, I ate lunch in the choir room. Like I just never (laughs) left. I went there early in the morning to hang out before class started. Um, and in high school, my first year, it was this guy, Mr. Benigali. Still remember his name. He was amazing. And he <laughs> definitely didn't want to be a high school choir teacher. So we left. And then we got a new guy. And um, his name was Mr. Weber. And I still remember, like, w- the first week he was there. And just being very apprehensive about him as a student. Like, why did Mr. Benigali leave? You're never going to be as good as him. Like, you know, it's just like this weird transition as a student. I was like, oh, and then, you know, Mr. Weber, I'm still in touch with him. I love him. Like he has been somebody that's been so important in my life, but that transition, it can be difficult um, as a student. And so for you as somebody coming into that program, I mean, you obviously came into a student studio as you just said that was like a well-run machine obviously the people that were there beforehand really loved it um how was that transition for you like connecting with students and helping them transition to you as an instructor Mm -hmm.
1: well going back to what we were talking about before with the unknown like that was so nerve-wracking for me yeah because It was an unknown student body that I would encounter. (laughs) Seems like it would be like the most terrifying aspect. And they don't know me either. And, you know, a few of them had seen me interview a lot of uh, tenure track positions. When you go for the interview, you do a teaching demo. And oftentimes that is is two students so that the current students can, you know, evaluate like how well they understood the information you're presenting, you know, what their interaction was like, because really when it comes down to it, that's a really important part of yeah. who you hire for a lot of Your universities. Your interaction is like, yeah, it's most mm-hmm. important. So I definitely was really nervous about wanting to keep everything that the students loved about how the program was running, but yeah. also, you know, bring in what I felt like I could offer. And there's a fine balance for doing that. Yeah. So in the first year, I didn't jump to ch- just flip everything over, flip the table over and, and reset it. I you know, wanted to run the classes and do the classes in the way that they've been done and maybe tweak things or bring in some of my knowledge of how I was taught to do something because sometimes there's more than one way. Wow, I would have never thought of that aspect. So I kind of kept it uh, my first year, like... Uh, status quo yeah. a little bit. And then this coming year, I'm looking forward to really spicing things up a little bit, bringing in different concepts and processes that I think could be really fun for the students to learn. Now that I have a little bit of rapport with them and I'm working yeah. with a lot of the same students again, which is really exciting. And I'm really looking forward to now starting to bring in my own, um, I guess, personality to the program. Yeah. But definitely, and I think I'm sure other new hires have experienced this you don't want to mess you don't want to completely sink the ship your first year yeah so you know you're trying to be cautious but also be proactive with you know observing and understanding the students and what they need and listening to that and sometimes keeping things the same gives you more answers than just trying to
0: change them immediately I think that's a really...
1: Right, don't we teach do that in science class for keep everything the same and change yeah. one factor. And
0: Well, I remember <laughs> just being really pissed off when Mr. Weber was like, we're going to do this for the choir, blah, blah, blah. You know, like that, make, that makes a whole lot of sense. Mm-hmm. People, are, I mean, not everybody loves change. And so you have to like mm-hmm. ease into it. And I'm excited for you. I mean, you just finished your first year, but imagine when all the students that, graduate and leave and you have completely new ones that have only known you in that program right right and you're dick in like their only perspective of what it is is everything that you have kind of yeah no shaped. pressure oh no no <laughs> I mean like I said oh god damn yeah. well yeah girl yeah you yeah. turn your track you're getting that big paycheck it is pressure, I'm excited that's very good yeah I'm excited that's super exciting for mm-hmm. you mm-hmm. um have you with how many students do you have? Like how big is this program? We haven't even talked about Um, that. Well,
1: specifically my classes cap off at 18.
0: And That's a lot.
1: It's a lot, and we're hoping to always have at least fifteen.
0: How many were you at? Like, say, for instance, when you were at, like Tyler adjuncting was that like, comparable? Oh, that varied. Yeah, oh, yeah.
1: I, I, I found that at schools, every school's different with like a minimum requirement for a class to run versus a maximum. I mean, the maximum always comes down to: is there a computer station? Is there a jeweler's bench? Yeah, true. Um, but the minimums definitely vary, and. I think especially in larger institutions you know 18 does sound small to most people maybe not to studio you know teachers but you know lecture hall that can hold 200 you know so you know but that's a whole interesting topic maybe for even a separate podcast (laughs) no another episode yeah the the different perceived values of how many students are in a classroom uh, and how that impacts education and too often I think it comes down to quantity and not quality
0: Um, so because you're tenure track and you're I mean you make a substantially larger amount of money right Mm -hmm. so I would assume that there's a substantially larger workload have you like how can you compare that to when you were doing adjunct and like hustling between five different universities Mm -hmm.
1: so when I opened up my first paycheck of my new job (laughs) Uh, my jaw pretty much dropped because it was almost what I made in a semester teaching two classes God in one month.
0: Damn. <laughs> and Congratulations. So, thank you. But I'm saying wow. it more. I mean, it sounds so. But no, it uh, doesn't sound like anything. Like it sounds
1: great. It was just that was sort of the shocking moment where. You know, it's not that it's an easy work at all. And I have a lot more responsibility in terms of advising and budgeting. And I'm running the program. Okay, and so there's like
0: budgeting it. and advising stuff. Okay. Right. That's all new. But yeah. when you think about it,
1: especially if you are adjuncting and you're teaching a 3-4 load, which is like three a semester, four a semester, a 4-4 four, four load maybe even. Yeah. Even a 2-3. You are also balancing... Driving between more than one school, understanding the rules of more than one school, dealing with five email addresses to all the different schools that you teach at. So, there's like another sort of hidden, maybe, workload that adjuncts have when they're working more than one university, especially. Okay. So, for me, everything became a little bit simpler because I had an office.
0: Yeah, I had you got an office. Email. I got an office. I
1: call it my <laughs> dungeon. It's great. Yes. Uh, you know, And I had a student body, you know, everything just sort of came into focus Mm -hmm. instead of me feeling so scattered. And that was a huge transition um, to go from working with such different student bodies in such different schools to like one school, one student body, one department, one group of people. Yeah. And while there was an increase in technically in the work that I was doing and the type of work I was doing and how that varied because it was all in one place though it did not feel as overwhelming as trying to do similar things at very different schools with very different people because a lot of it comes down to the people that you work with right
0: yeah and so
1: again unknown factors I mean I was definitely nervous like of course, I'd. I, admit I mean, at I wanted interview. to ask about
0: that, but I thought it might be a little too personal, even <laughs> hey. for me. But like, how's that new faculty treating you? If you're, you the new
1: kid, yeah. you're the new kid, man. You're the new new kid on the block. And if you aren't worrying about it, and you're applying for these jobs, please worry about it when you go on an interview. <laughs> <laughs> it means
0: a lot. Your first impressions can make or break you.
1: And you're being interviewed, but it's also if no one told you, you're interviewing the other faculty in a way. Like you need to find yeah. out when you go if you get to that on-campus interview is this somewhere I want to work? Yeah, And read the red flags, read the room, get a sense, ask the hard questions, you know, see what makes people squirm, see what makes them excited and passionate. Try to figure out, is this an environment that I want to be in? Because that is the reality every day of who you're going to need to work with and whether or not there's going to be red tape. And I just feel so lucky because I work with some of the coolest people and everyone's really supportive. Everyone's really excited. Um, I was the only new kid on the block we also had a new hire in digital media nice so yeah which has been great and they're cool too because i was worried like the other new hire i hope they're cool like we're gonna have to do so much together and you know you're day in and day out you're in this program and you see
0: those people more than you do your boyfriend yeah
1: yeah let's be real yeah Yeah. totally (laughs) um and so you know try to get that sense when you're out there and Ask those questions. You know, at the end of an interview, there's always a well. Do you have any questions for us? And try yeah. to think of questions that are going to give you answers that you want. You know, what's the program like? You know, what is it like to get funding for things? You know, how do everyone in the apartment get along? Is there interdisciplinary interaction, or is it more insular? You know, questions that matter to you and are going to impact your experience there. Yeah, um, because that is really important too. It's, it takes a, what do they say, a village to raise, you know, a child. And an, I feel like it takes a village to have a successful art program. Yeah. So kind of get to know who your villagers are and <laughs> <laughs> yes figure out if they're people you want to work with. And I feel very lucky. I, I took the gamble, you know, moving across the country, starting at a brand new school, oh, brand man. new people, brand new students. And I feel really lucky that it's all working out. But that's a risk you take. And you might not be able to figure it out in that one day you're on campus. But
0: yeah hopefully you can get a you can get a a gut feeling yeah my mentor always said like listen to your gut she gave Mm -hmm. me like a whole book on listening to your gut (laughs) i listen to it i try to to. i mean it's true (laughs) yes um so we're getting towards the end of the interview Mm -hmm. but i had to get to my favorite part (laughs) (laughs) because i know you're so good at this (laughs) i mean i remember in the first episode you came so prepared and i was so afraid to ask the questions but i was like hey Can you talk about how much money you actually make as an adjunct? Sure. You broke it down. Your five year you broke five years down according to your taxes. Like you gave some you to this day you've given me some of the most detailed description of your income, and I thank you for that because I will say I mean. Of course, you're the first interview I ever did, so I've gotten the most feedback from it because it was the first. But I don't think it's just because you're the first. I think it was because of the way you really did approach and um, embrace the mission of this, was to be completely transparent and give people an idea. Like, you want to be an adjunct? This is what I made the past five years. This is what you can expect. I thank you for that, by the sure. way. <laughs> um, My pleasure. So we've alluded to your fancy new income. Mm-hmm. Um but can you give us an idea of like what you make now and like how that's changed your life sure. in some ways? Can money buy happiness? I'm really, <laughs> I'm really hoping so because I want it. I think cats can buy happiness. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I don't like
1: cats. Yeah, that I doesn't know. work for me. I'm sorry, bad joke. You know, uh, money only goes so far, but as a maker, I think some of the... some of the two main things everyone needs is money and time yeah (laughs) and time very valuable resources (laughs) and uh time as stanley lexon one of my mentors mentioned is our unrenewable resource so we can't really work on getting more of that or that back but in terms of money you know you got to figure out where your sweet spot is and you have to look at factors like where is this new job going to be yeah because Let's just say $45,000 in Philadelphia isn't going to get you as far as $45,000, maybe in a more rural location. Okay. Or if I'm $45,000, even just between New York City and Philadelphia. Is that what you're making? Is that what you're no, saying? That no, no, I'm just throwing out this number. <laughs> like, we'll get wait. to it, I promise. Okay. <laughs> but first of all, just think about it. Like when yeah. you are offered a position and you're offered the job, you really need to think about cost of living. Yeah. And even though the number might be more than what you're making now, Is it actually going to get you further
0: in terms of? We're really close to New York, so I think that'll battle that a lot. Yeah. Yeah. But New York is a whole different ballgame. Exactly. People make a ton of Mm -hmm. fucking money in New Mm -hmm. York, but that's, that'd be a huge amount here, but it's just minimum wage there. Yeah. So uh, that was something I definitely was thinking about. Uh,
1: some states also have a transparency policy. I know it has an official word. I can't think of it right now. But uh, you can <laughs> see what the salary would be for your position and oh. when you're starting. So if they don't list the salary, sometimes you can find it out um, or they'll have a link to it. So that was the case with uh, HSU. Even on the job application, they had a list to it. So I knew what my range could be yeah. as a new hire. Some of it is whether you get service credit, which means... Um, let's say you were an assistant professor at a different university, and you apply somewhere, you might be able to get credit for the years that you were an assistant professor. Oh. So you could get hired with some credit.
0: Which That's is really fancy. cool.
1: So there's all these other factors to keep in mind if you are in this position in the future. Uh, for me, um, in the end, I got on the way further end of the spectrum, and I feel really lucky. Because of all that adjunct hustling? I, I, you know, sure. Maybe it did pay <laughs> I <off>. would <laughs> hope that would pay off for you I think so. I, yeah. I really do think so, and I feel really grateful for having been able to hustle like that yeah. in Philadelphia. And so for me, what did I say? I went from 15000 for teaching a 2-2 load to um, what will eventually be a three-three load, but right now I'm on my release course load. So for the first two years, when you teach, yeah, uh, I only have to teach a two-two load,
0: and so it's lighter because so you can adjust to all the other like responsibilities. Oh yeah, responsibilities. and do your research.
1: Yes, exactly. Oh, that's nice. Uh, but eventually, we'll be three-three, and even considering that. It going up to three three because I was doing three three or three four. Remember who you're talking to as an three, adjunct. 3, is uh, three, three in the fall, yeah. Three in the spring. Okay, Yeah, thank yeah you're welcome. Uh, and yeah, so anyway, long story short, I'm now making sixty seven thousand eight hundred dollars.
0: That's amazing. Yeah.
1: What? Yeah. Ah! So, like I said, I'm, California has this transparency policy, so you could look that up. yeah, but, you could look it up anyway but I'm making it here. easy for y'all. yeah, so, thank you. It's amazing. And for where I live, that's really great. Yeah. and again, that might not go as far in LA
0: yeah. or
1: you know somewhere way more expensive, but where I'm living, I mean it has definitely changed my life. I mean, I was able to travel here this summer because i have that extra income i could go to munich jewelry week with support from the school so that's another yeah. whole cool thing about oh, being tenure track is you get that. some you get some opportunities at traveling grants and at research grants and it's really
0: phenomenal and so that's helped me greatly and and when your close friend doesn't realize that her credit card has a PIN number that she needs for when she's in Europe, you can cover her until she exactly. gets home. Exactly. <laughs> so, you guys, I was so broke in <laughs> Munich, but Emily Cobb
1: definitely saved me. So, you know, it's yeah. not like I'm going out and buying designer dresses now and, like, no. going crazy, but it's given me a sense of security and freedom to really, you know, pursue making more work, pursue traveling more, participating yeah. more. And I also said, like, I feel like I'm just so more, more can be and will become so much more focused because I'm at one school.
0: Yeah. So. Well, it's a workflow. I mean, I didn't get to comment on that, but that's something I think about a lot with my job is workflow. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's important. I could see like jumping in between all those schools would just like really disrupt that. So. Yeah.
1: And the one thing I kind of I know we're we're ending here soon, but one of the major things I want to pitch out there is it's not just for the well-being of the educator you know, my life is definitely improved. Like I have health insurance now. I could go yeah. see doctors I haven't seen in a long time. could afford to do it. Um, you know, job security comes with its perks, but it's also for the student's benefit. Yeah. I mean, as hard as I tried it as an adjunct, you are all over the place and you are, you know, you have that energy and that, that drive. And it's just like, how long can you, you have that before it really starts to impact your health or your ability to educate? And so I can't push enough how important it is for schools to try to keep those tenure positions and support them. Yeah. Uh, and I know that it's tough. I know that our environment right now is a, is a lot of reasons why these positions are having a hard time either continuing on when someone retires or, you know, it's hard to get new tenure positions. Yeah. But I do think just the one year I've experienced it, I feel like my ability to be a quality educator has increased because of that. And I hope as a result that my students education will increase in quality as well well that's um, real so that's my little pitch for <laughs> I like for your tenure. little pitch but before we stop don't forget about you you have been one year out as well oh my god yes perceived one year, value yeah, one year so how does your one year
0: feel in a nutshell oh that's a hard question <laughs> um well I think I'm just proud that I've done it I think for me, starting this was try to make it one year because it's, you know, it's like entering a relationship that doesn't give back. (laughs) Like the needy boyfriend that's like, (laughs) you know, like, um, it's been a passion project and there's been times where I have been, haven't wanted to do it, but I've done it anyways. And there's, it's, you know what? I am just going to go ahead and say that it's probably the most rewarding thing I have yet to do in my career. Um, That's And great. I didn't expect to be a podcaster, but I love it. And I love it the way, the reward I get from it and the people I get to meet, the connections I get to meet. Because I'm not going to lie, I have a hard time as a jeweler. Just sitting in a room by myself. Like I'm a very social person. Mm-hmm. So this speaks to who I am and those things that I need in my life, which is a lot of interaction. I'm a chatty (laughs) Kathy. It works to your strengths. (laughs) I was talking to somebody who was like, Yeah, I play up like two of my greatest strengths, talking too much and my Midwestern disposition.
1: And we (laughs) need people like you, Sarah Richard Brown, because many of us
0: would do not mind sitting alone
1: in our studio (laughs) with our cat.
0: I've had to get you know, with any project, I think you've had I've had to get over some insecurities and one was doing this means I'm making less jewelry. Um, and I think that has been really hard for me because I've always identified as a jeweler. And that means you're in the studio and you're making and you're exhibiting and you're selling work all the time. And you're posting on Instagram all the things you're making. Um, but I'm not making physical objects anymore. And so it kind of messed with my identity. But, you know, I think of people in our field that I really respect, Um Rebecca Frank mm-hmm. runs Art Jewelry Forum. She still makes work, but the majority of what she's making is she's making that experience for us through Art mm-hmm. Jewelry Forum or Bella Nyman, you know, like she's not a jeweler at all. <laughs> you know, <laughs> she's like such a big part of our field. But there and
1: everyone like that is still so valuable and maybe in hindsight, you know, that value will finally become more apparent to people like you who decide Mm -hmm. to take on different facets in the field yeah and no pun intended but
0: you know (laughs) you love because it's not
1: just the makers it's the talkers and the discussers and the analyzers and the people that put this world out there too and we all have important roles to play but I think the error of every single one of us trying to play all of them almost like the focus we were just talking about before yeah is where things can get a little crazy and i think i'm excited for our field to have people that are willing to take on different roles and that i hope that everyone sees and i think everyone does that there's value to that yeah even if you maybe your original placement was as a maker i don't think there's any i think it's great if you want to start to write
0: (laughs) or talk or... Well, I, I see it in the same way too where you see somebody who takes on a tenure track position and their studio practice not necessarily suffers. I don't want to say that word, but is toned down because they put so much into developing their program mm-hmm. or somebody that focuses more on writing. Um, yeah, I'd be lying if I didn't say I was insecure about it or there's times where I think that... I don't ever feel like a fraud because I am a jeweler. I can sit down and set a stone any damn day. <laughs> but um, it it can be a little weird at times to realize when was the last time I was at my bench. Somebody asked me that the other day. And I was like, oh, my God. I haven't been at my bench since April. But isn't this your bench? It really is. And you know what? My, last, my bench for the last month has been my computer. I have written so much. And I
1: don't... I, you know what, good for you, because I'm not a big fan of writing, so you go, girl. Like,
0: <laughs> I like, got into jewelry, so I didn't have to do math or writing, and the joke is on me, people. Jeez. So, yeah, that's where I'm at. It's been pretty, it's been pretty wild. Um, and I, I'm, it's only one year. I get the whole new year. I'm so excited. I'm excited too. I'm not slowing down. I'm picking up steam. Choo-choo. <laughs> um, Thank you so much for so taking the time while you're home visiting to come and speak with me. It's been one whole year and I'm so excited to hear about how you've been doing. I mean, I've gotten to follow along, but I wanted to give listeners an insight to it because um, I think often you hear about people getting these jobs, but you don't actually get to hear about the other side of it, like how it happened and the transition. So thank you for giving mm-hmm. listeners an insight to that. And thank you for continuing to give listeners. Oh, that insight. <laughs> well, we have to go because one of our dearest friends, um, which is very appropriate for this interview, is moving on Friday to a tenure track position in Denver, Colorado. Yes, she is. I, for one, am pissed <laughs> off because she's now Emily's left. Now she's leaving. Um, but we love Leslie and I'm very excited for her. So we're going to go sing some karaoke and celebrate that incredible woman before she leaves the city. A brotherly love. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks for listening. (laughs) Uh, yes, this has been another episode of proceed value. The podcast broaching the subject of value with artists. And did you know the tagline was going to be the subject, the podcast broaching the subject of money with artists. But miss Emily Cobb was like, Hey, Try the word value. Thank you for that. <laughs> Perceived Value is recorded and produced by me, Sarah Rachel Brown. If you love the podcast and you want to show your support, become our patron. Visit patreon.com slash value to learn more. Or check out our website at proceedvaluepodcast.com and click on the support page.